0: Uh, no aber- no embarrassment at all but i would th- have i, I would have rolled with it cuz you know i'm at the age like i don't care if my ass is hanging out love is uncomfortable, comfortable <laughs> but my husband goes it would have been better if you had a thong on
1: i was <laughs> around and be like you can thank my mama cuz she made it like-
0: <laughs> so it made for a hysterical afternoon and and then i went to dinner and had some drinks so i'm folks hi we're live i I, i'm j.e taylor and i'm a little um a a little tipsy so you'll have to excuse me tonight (laughs) i split my pants at the beach Yay! What <laughs> it was those deep squats, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to get up from the low chair, and I have Barbie as my co-host today, and we will have some special guests. Um, both Katie Solitas and I just completely blanked out. Virginia, <laughs> Virginia, 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 Virginia Cruz. <laughs> Virginia Cruz, who who Virginia wrote The Soldier's Guide to PTSD and they have a new book out together, The Women's Guide to PTSD. Or PTSD acknowledge and heal. It's a women's guide. So, thank you for joining us today. So, it's a little different than what we normally do. Barbie and I are the hosts. <laughs> <laughs> and and Katie is our guest and Virginia is our guest. So welcome.
2: Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So
3: interesting to be in a different seat today. Yeah,
0: I know, isn't it?
3: <laughs> kind of crazy, huh? You're below me.
0: So now I can point and be accurate. <laughs>
3: there we go. There we go.
0: Made it easier
3: for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so mm. we, where do, where to even begin? I mean, this, yes. we, we've talked about the PTSD guide. Yeah. Um,
0: and Virginia, it's fantastic
3: we've had you guide. on so many times to discuss it and it's such an important book. Mm. And now we're going to be celebrating the release of a brand new book. Mm-hmm.
2: August 26th, Acknowledge and Heal. It's available for pre-order mm. right now on Amazon. Um, And that is going to be released on International Women's Day, August 26th of this year. So we're really excited about that and uh, excited for a new chapter and reaching some new readers. Yeah, I
3: I think this this book is definitely going to hit a really important target audience.
0: Absolutely. I think it's important, too.
3: So, (laughs) yeah. and, And I think. Initially, you know, when you hear PTSD, what's the first thing you think of? You think of of soldiers. Mm-hmm. So the Soldiers Guide, you know, obviously came first, but it's kind of a stepping stone now because as we're, you know, really focusing in on, on mental health, it's not just soldiers. It's not just, you know, one democrat. It's so many people that are susceptible to it. And, and this is just the first of many. Right. Exactly. You know, I
0: know, I know the soldier's guide could be, you know, translated into, you know, police officers and and um, firefighters and all of that, that that deal with trauma as well in the public service industries, too. So it, it helps in that way. So and this focuses on women's issues with PTSD
3: yeah and first responders we definitely want to to work on a book <clears throat> for. i think that's that's on our list of things to yeah. do because you know they they own front lines you know they're mm-hmm. they're definitely in the middle of it and they need their own guide um the women's guide is specifically geared towards women because it's touching on a lot of the things that women deal with on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and and a lot of traumas that seem normal that are are actually you know detrimental to our mental health and we need to address that which is where the title came acknowledge and heal acknowledge what's going on understand it learn you know what to to do about it so that you can heal
1: and it's not something too that like is unheard of ptsd is not something that is like this oh (laughs) unfortunately to a lot of people but like it's it's very prevalent in our time now, even though these people aren't in law enforcement or they aren't in uh, the military.
0: Right. Right. It's, a, you know, the, the domestic violence situations and things like that that are forefront in our news um, that we don't understand, you know, some of us who haven't been through it don't necessarily understand the ramifications, but this
3: this guide helps deal with that. Yeah. I think maybe a good way to start. Virginia, do you want to, the intro that you wrote for this book, I think really kind of touches on the the heart of why we wrote it. So would you like to
2: do a little read? Thanks, Katie. I would love to. Let me go ahead and bring it up here. So this is the introduction to Acknowledge and Heal, and I promise that you won't be bored because it's short. So it starts (laughs) something like this. Hey, lady. So we don't know each other. I only know that you've picked up this book, and for the moment, you're reading it. I appreciate that. There are a few things I value more than the Council of Wise Women. After writing The Soldier's Guide to PTSD, I heard from many women, both veterans and civilians, who felt validated once they were armed with the facts. These women knew in their gut that they were experiencing symptoms of PTSD and could not find help. Sometimes their doctors and mental health professionals would not listen to them. Unfortunately, I know a bit about that. In 2008, after my third deployment to Iraq, I was at my worst with my own PTSD and my boss directed me to see a psychiatrist. This was at a military treatment facility and the psychiatrist was an active duty military officer, a male colonel. I was overwhelmed, suicidal, And in an extremely vulnerable position, I knew that something was seriously wrong with my mental health and I didn't understand what was happening to me. It was frightening. I talked with the psychiatrist for the better part of an hour. I answered his questions and I poured my heart out at the end of our time. He said to me, Virginia, there's nothing I can do to help you. If you can't be honest with me. And I was bewildered. He further qualified his statement and said, we all know women don't serve in combat and I can't help you if you won't tell me the truth. Ladies, I wish I were making this up. This psychiatrist labeled me with a personality disorder and he completely dismissed my experience. I felt like I was kicked while I was already down. And adding insult to injury, I was kicked by another service member who was supposed to have my back. I remember that day very well, even though I was drinking a lot back then. The feeling of betrayal cut deeply. I internalized this hurt and I thought seriously about just giving up. In that moment, I realized that if I didn't figure out how to help myself, I was literally going to die, either from insanity or by my own hand. I enrolled in graduate school and 14 years later, here I am talking to you i've talked with hundreds of clients since then and discovered that unfortunately my experience is not a one-off and this goes beyond the veteran community often women's experiences are dismissed belittled and invalidated and even more so for women of color or women who identify as a member of the lgbtqia community and that's not okay ladies We absolutely have to know our symptoms better than anyone else. And this includes our doctors or our therapists. We must be able to advocate for ourselves and sounds smart doing it. I'm convinced that when we know the facts about PTSD, we make more informed choices and get better faster. This message is really important, which is why I partnered with Katie Solitis to write this women's guide. Katie has a way of communicating that is beyond my scope And I'd be crazy not to tap into her expertise. When we asked for feedback for the Soldier's Guide in 2021, many women that I love and respect told us that the Soldier's Guide had great information, but the tone was just a little too harsh and the jargon too specific. So we listened and changed course. Now, that doesn't mean this book is going to be comfortable. PTSD is an unpleasant topic, and people don't like to talk about it. And I get that, but that's not good for us. Your life is at stake, lady, and I intend to be as straightforward with you as I know how. We're going to talk about suicide, gaslighting, depression, relationships, and a lot more because I'm one of those therapists who came to the profession later in life, and I'm not here to waste time. I'm going to teach you everything I wish I knew before I walked into that colonel's office. Listen, I know PTSD is exhausting, and I realize you might not be up to reading a book. Maybe you could try this one. We'll keep it short. Yours sincerely, Virginia Cruz. So thank you so much team for allowing me to, to read that intro to you. I really value that.
3: And Anita's commented here. Yes. Medical professionals still dismiss women's issues. That's one of the topics we talk about the the medical gaslighting is something I think a lot of women run into at some point in their care. Yeah. The, it's all in your head
0: thing is just ridiculous. You know, yeah. it, it's almost like they don't want to look into, look deeper under the covers. You know, they, they
3: that makes them uncomfortable, which, which, you know, is, is irritating as hell. Mm-hmm. There's Yeah. There's that. And there's the, you know, you expected a certain procedure to go a certain way and it changes. And rather than being informed, you're just, told to deal with what they do and that can create traumatic events as well Mm. you know and these are kind of these are the topics we wanted to touch on specifically with the women's guide because we do run into things as women that maybe men don't run into and we want to address those things because if we're going to write a book geared towards a certain person we want to make sure that that group is covered, that we are addressing the things that are most important to them so that they can again acknowledge the problem and find a way to heal. Exactly. What I love
2: about this book and and what it what makes it I think really different from the Soldier's Guide is Katie's voice that's in it. There's a lot of excellent, excellent research and I won't lie I learned a lot from Katie's research and she you know here I, I you know I'm in the I'm a therapist, I'm in the trauma recovery business, and I can't tell you how much I personally learned by reading Katie's writing. Uh, It was really well-researched. And moreover, what this guide has that the Soldier's Guide doesn't have is personal anecdotes. Uh, We had women uh, that we reached out to and who reached out to us who anonymously uh, submitted their own stories of their own traumas. And those are throughout, acknowledge and heal. And I think that that is so important because oftentimes when it comes to trauma and it comes to PTSD, we can feel isolated, we can feel alone. And unfortunately, trauma is ubiquitous. This this is happening a lot. You know, we know from the Me Too movement that trauma, unfortunately, is the norm and not the exception anymore. And I think that acknowledge and heal and especially Katie's work in it and her research in it is pushing the envelope in the right direction in terms of, you know, we're not going to, it's, this isn't a euphemism. We really cut to the chase and talk about some really just tough topics and things that I didn't even consider before topics like spousal rape, um, gosh katie what were some of the topics that that really just struck you
3: that that one was heart-wrenching because we heart-wrenching. we have a personal story that goes with that one uh the medical gaslighting was another big one um compassion fatigue emotional labor you know all the the things that are just expected of women and, and were taken for granted that you know women are just going to handle them and do them without addressing the load that it puts on them and yeah you know, we women, we're, we're strong and we do shoulder so much responsibility and, you know, take on too much. What and was that? What happens when you take on too much? You're right. on the risk you, of crumbling. What was the most common theme in your research and your feedback that you got? Sadly, it's that a lot of these traumas start in childhood and it's built up over time. And, and that The things that happen to us in childhood when we're still developing and we're we're still trying to figure the world out around us, create coping mechanisms that are unhealthy. They allow us to continue. They allow us to live day to day, but they're not healthy. And we get to a point where you've coped for so long that your coping mechanisms have broken down. And by the time people get to that point where they have coped with the trauma and they have tried as hard as they can to make it through. And they're now breaking down. They have, they feel like they have no support, no solution, no way to go. And they need that additional help and they need that additional time because rewriting years and years of trauma in order to be able to function again is going to take a lot longer than, you know, a single incident.
2: Gosh, I I love This is why I partnered with Katie Mm -hmm. because her writing is just, you know, and the way you, you speak about this is passionate and so salient, you know, it, I think that there's an expectation when it comes to trauma and trauma recovery, that this is going to be a drive-through breakthrough. You know, we do have, you know, that's going to be my way right away, Burger King counseling. I'm going to, you know, do it my way, you know, get a side of onion rings and hold the fries and boom. And what what we neglect is, I love what Katie, I love what you said, is that, you know, we, it, it does often start in, in childhood. And, you know, when it comes to trauma, and it comes to something called attachment, you know, here's what we know is we don't all learn the same thing, but we do all learn it the same way. So we learn about ourselves, and we learn about our world from our families of origin. And hopefully we win the the lottery and we are born into a really loving and supportive household. But that is unfortunately the exception and not the norm. There's a lot of shit going on out there and the world is increasingly stressful. So we learn about about ourselves. We learn about the world. We learn about uh, romantic relationships from what we are seeing in our house. And hopefully that's modeled in a way that matters. But a lot of time it's not. Uh, there's there's a great study what we call attachment theory, which is that we we learn how to relate to other people based on how we how well we are attached to our you know biological mother or mother figure you know the person who is giving us that primary feeding and care, and you know when that mom is stressed or that caregiver not necessarily just you know a mother, you know when that primary caregiver is stressed that is passed on generational trauma is passed on and you know maybe it all comes to a head because we lose somebody who is really dear to us and and we have you know just we we come to a full halt or maybe you know maybe a trauma happens we have a serious accident or there's rape or you know we're caught up in trafficking there are Unfortunately, trauma is ubiquitous. This umbrella is unbelievably big, and Katie's right. This is not just for military service members, um, although we can truly believe that. Uh, you know, we, it, but but we can't heal from that. You know, when it comes to what we call complex trauma, or you know, this is going on over a very long time. There's a lot to recover from, and I think his women too. That we're just really hard on ourselves, and we have uh, expectations for ourselves in terms of recovery that we wouldn't have on anyone else. That we wouldn't we wouldn't even have on another woman. We would hold ourselves to this incredibly high standard, and we wouldn't maybe we wouldn't even let another person hold us to an unreasonable standard like that. But we'll look right in the mirror and hold ourselves to that standard
3: we're We're trained from birth like that. I think that's the the general condition of being a woman is we're expected to handle everything. We're expected to do all the the tasks and and chores that no one else wants to do. And that's just the way it is. And we see that. And so we grow up learning just to handle it I mean i I, I used to joke in the
0: household, Mom can never be sick. No. No, you you're know, absolutely when, right. When 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 everybody else is sick, mom has to do it all, you know. It it's it's mom, not dad. Mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it it's it's we put a lot on ourselves, especially if you're a mother. You know, yeah. that that levels it up higher than than, you know, somebody who doesn't have a child because, you know, you are feeling responsible for those around you mm-hmm. and that responsibility falls on your shoulders and it's 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 tough mm-hmm. so in in writing and researching what was the greatest thing you two learned
3: we go comment from anita here you see a lot of guilt when women can't live up yep mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. society holds us to just as high of a standard right we, we obviously we hold ourselves very highly to what we need to do and who we need to take care of. But mm-hmm. society, look at the the mom judgmentalism against other moms, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're a formula feeder or you're a breast feeder, you know, there's there's judgment on both sides. Mm-hmm. There doesn't need to be, but there is.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and again, it's because we're being held to such a, a high level of, of competency in what we can do that, you know, the minute we let one person down, it's like we're letting the whole world down.
2: Mm-hmm. And I want to put it out there that we are not by any stretch of the imagination saying that dads don't not, experience right. this, that men Absolutely. need it, trauma, you know, because there's, there's a lot of folks who are going to get their dicks hurt over this. And Oh, no pun intended, talking about men, but just, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of men, out, men who might be like, or, or even other women who'd be like, well, it's not just ladies. And right. you know, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. And we're not saying that it is. But there are things about trauma that are very unique to women and especially working as a mental health professional, um, you know, the idea of medical gaslighting and when it comes to mental health, I think that, you know, I see that a lot in my work and that's not okay. So just like that experience that I talk about in the intro where I went I poured my heart out and I knew that something was wrong. I knew that something was wrong. I was suicidal. I was alcoholic. I was blowing up my perfectly awesome marriage. I was pushing people I love away. I was not okay. And I put a lot of trust, you know, there's, there's definitely an an unequal power balance when it comes to going to a doctor going to a mental health professional, speaking to an expert. It's very uneven. We have to be honest about that. And, you know, in 2020 hindsight, I can look back on that and say, wow, you know how how we treat people when we have all the power and others have none really reflects us and what we value. But, you know, that's I was already down you know it, it's hard to to come to that really objective third person perspective when i am really struggling with drinking and paranoia and nightmares and hyper vigilance and flashbacks and you know it was it, it really could have been the straw that broke the camel's back and pushed me over the edge into suicide if i'm being really honest about it um and so that's why I, I'm not saying that men don't experience that because they do they definitely do. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's really important that we are talking about this in an open and authentic way. Mm-hmm. And the stories, especially in Acknowledge and Heal, um, really, it, for me, as someone who you know thankfully has not had to experience every trauma out there to be a good trauma therapist, wow gave me a lot of empathy and and a lot of insight as a therapist that I didn't have before and that I have since used in my own practice
3: that's there, awesome the the stories that are included i i mean i was in tears reading some of those and the the things that we go through as women and don't get help for
0: mm-hmm. or
3: or don't know to reach out for for help and it's we don't want more people to go through what the people who submitted those stories went through. And and it was very important to include those because we need women to see that this is not something that you wanna go through. This isn't a normal thing for you and you're not alone. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, this is very focused on women. You know, the, P- the soldiers guide was very focused on soldiers. I know you're gonna expand out in the future, as you had said, but it, it, as you said, these are very important subject matters to focus on separately. Um, so, so kudos to you to, for, for segregating the traumas and, and, and highlighting them and making it known.
3: Yeah. And, and if we, we do get into the, the you know, a guide for men, there's going to be some very different traumas that we focus on because, mm-hmm. you know, with this one, this is geared towards women. So we're focusing on the most common traumas that women are going to go through. For men, we would be focusing on their their side of it. Mm-hmm. And there is a gender difference in, in how people react to trauma. And that was one of the things that I found really interesting in the research mm-hmm. is that, you know, we, we always hear about fight, flight, and freeze. Mm-hmm. We don't hear about tending and befriending or fawning, mm-hmm. and that's more of a woman reaction because we're geared towards protecting our young. We're geared towards, yeah. you know, mitigating damage rather than aggressively fighting back. Now that's a generalization. I'm not saying all women, mm-hmm. but as you know, just a broad generalization, women react differently we try as hard as we can to mitigate that damage. And actually
2: that's what brings more stress upon ourselves. Makes sense. I think a lot of guilt and shame too. Mm -hmm. That idea of maybe I could have done something to stop it. Maybe if I hadn't, if I hadn't uh, stayed quiet, if I had only spoken up, if I had only fought back because I, and I, you know, Katie, I learned a lot. I didn't, You know, I had heard of Fawn before, um, but because I deal with military clients, I had actually never heard of tend and befriend before you wrote about that. That was, that was new for me. And again, you know, I'm, I'm in the trauma recovery business and I, I can't tell you how much I learned, Uh, the different types of trauma that are covered in this book are are really, I mean, there's over a hundred pages just covering different types of trauma that are very specific to women. And Katie even had told me that she could have written, just kept going and going and going with that.
3: Yeah, I had to, I had to cut it off at, at one point. But it, the, the tend and befriend thing, that, that was such an eye-opener. Um, and it made sense when I was reading the, the research that it was based off of, because, you know, just to simplify, to put it in very simple terms, if you have your child with you, and you're being attacked. You have no way of picking up and running with your child and hoping to get away. So the natural way to defend yourself at this point is to calm the person down, to try and avoid damage to you, yourself or your child. Tending and befriending is exactly that. It's, it's trying to soothe the situation, to mitigate the damage. That's where fawning comes in. You know, you say or do whatever is necessary to appease the aggressor to prevent things from getting worse because we're protecting not only ourselves we're protecting something innocent something that 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 is very important to us and women tend to be the ones that raise the children and so it's kind of ingrained in our our you know behavioral responses to be more protective in the way that mitigates the damage rather than aggressive and again that that brings more stress on yourself because now you're having to deal with the fallout of having to appease this person that you know is an aggressor.
2: And the guilt and shame that
3: comes with that. Domestic violence. I mean, that's one of the reasons in the research that people don't leave because they have children or they have, you know, responsibilities to uh, family members that they're caring for or pets or, you know, there's some, care that they would have to give up to leave and they can't do it. So they stay in a situation to mitigate the damage for the ones they love. I mean, it, uh, it just, some of the stories in there, it, it's it's heart wrenching to hear what people have gone through. I'm,
2: I'm wondering if there's one in particular that you wanted to share. If one of the one. stories.
3: Oh, yeah. geez. I, they're um. so.
2: I know they're really powerful. I mean, and if, I mean, I get that too, Barbie. I saw you like go like this, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you just you were having such a reaction there." And I just wanted
1: to to reach out and and touch it, lady. I was just thinking too, because the tendon, the tendon, befriend, and the fawning—like it. I can I can see that with women in domestic violence situations, but I also like I think I know personally some people who were children doing that and get a little emotional, um, who are children doing that because their parents weren't caring for them. And so they were doing the tending and befending and the fawning for their parents so that their younger siblings could be safe. And they took that on them.
3: Yep. That, that's definitely yeah. among one of the common occurrences. And, and we talk about that in, in some of the childhood traumas, um, narcissistic parents being one of them that, that create, a situation where in youth children have had to already create these coping mechanisms to deal with a parent that is not giving them the care or love or attention that they need and has warped their sense of what love is because love becomes contractual when it's a narcissistic person that you're dealing with. And as they get older, these coping mechanisms tweak how they deal with the world around them. So as adults, they're not as functioning as they should be because they don't know what love is. They don't know that everything is not a contractual agreement. It's, you know, I don't do for you because I want you to do for me. It's I do for you because I care for you. And they don't have these, these built-in understandings of how the world should work because they've been skewed as, as a child. And it just compounds as they get older until the, the coping mechanism doesn't work anymore and they snap.
1: It's a lot to carry for a very long time. It is,
2: you know, and speaking of coping mechanisms, you know, we talk about suicide in this book, and I think we do it in a way that's really candid, Um, because thinking about suicide, this is something I don't think we talk enough about when it comes to trauma, is that every coping mechanism works until it doesn't. And we kind of need to be honest about that. And and this is, you know, this is cringy. So if you're you're feeling, you know, like, "Mm, I don't know, don't buy the book because you're really not going to like it. Um, Because, you know, we talk about, like, listen, like alcohol and drug abuse, drug use. It works. Can we just be honest about that? Um, You know, alcohol and drugs work. They work until they don't. You know, when our solution is just to swallow away versus going to therapy or talking with a friend or, or, or. You know, it works. Suicidal thoughts, we need to be honest about that. Thinking about suicide, fantasizing about it, it works, it works. And a lot of women, especially, who are in situations that feel like there is no way out a lot of us will and, and I'm I'm you know, I'm not calling the, the kettle black here, you know, I'm, I, I will speak for myself. I won't speak for all women everywhere. You know, when I was highly suicidal, I thought, you, you know, it was, you know, I think my spouse will be better off if I wasn't around because clearly I am losing my marbles. Um, you, you know, it was out of service was out of service but thinking about suicide helped me to feel something when in real and when in my walking talking everyday life I felt completely numb I was completely numbed out which is which is part of PTSD which is one of the symptoms we go over the symptomology of PTSD kind of line by line and we take you through the diagnostic statistical manual and translate it back into English so that we can all understand it But, you know, thinking about suicide was, was very comforting for me. And, and I hear this all the time in my work, you know, and I I recognize that for many of us, that thinking about suicide and we'll tell ourselves, or at least I told myself like, oh, I'm just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about it. I would absolutely never do it. But here's the deal with that. Every single one of us will come to a point in our lives where our ability to cope will be overwhelmed by the world. You know, we've all got it together till we don't. You know, there is something there, you know, what is that straw? Maybe, you know, maybe it's losing, you know, being in a domestic violence situation. Maybe it's losing a child. Maybe it is, you know, being drugged or raped or being hurt, you know, nobody, Nobody prepares us for that. There's no training for that. There's no, you know, podcast. I mean, you know, how can I, how can I get ready for that? You know, so if we are thinking about suicide, you know, already, and then something overwhelms our ability to cope, we can go from zero to 60 really fast. I mean, it is instant, instant. And that's, and we talk about that very candidly in the book of, you know, that there are four different stages of suicide. You know, we talk about the ideation, thinking about it, We talk about intent. The second part where that's kind of a, having a case of the fuck it, you know what, I've got this idea and fuck it, I'm doing it. Then we have planning where we start thinking, and this is where fantasy comes in and I'll just speak for myself. Cause I, I don't want to make all of our listeners feel uncomfortable. You know, I'll think about, you know, who's going to show up at my funeral. What's going to be my last Facebook post. Who do I want to send an F.U. letter to, right before I do it? Um, you know, thinking about how I might do it. You may be researching. You know, will my life insurance cover this? Uh, you know, how many how many years do I have to have my life insurance intact before it will cover suicide? And then we have preparation, and when we are at that preparation phase, that's when we're actually purchasing the life insurance policy. That's when we are thinking, you know, we're testing out the rafters to see, you know, will this rafter hold my weight or am I going to hang myself and just bruise myself? Um, You know, buying, uh, buying the bullets for our weapon or researching the, you know, how many of my medication do I have to take to actually overdose? Then we're in a really dangerous place. in a dangerous place and it's time for us to get help so you know it's it's uncomfortable but we talk about it hit me jane
0: one thing i need to make clear because i'm in the life insurance industry there is no coverage for suicide there is no coverage for dying if you if you decide to go jumping from a plane you know (laughs) parachuting It's null and void. So that is not a, you know, maybe that's something that the audience doesn't understand. But if you decide to go down that path and you have this life insurance, it's null and void if you take your own life.
2: I'll take your word for it i'm not an expert on most things yeah I'm, I'm, I'm in the
0: life insurance industry
2: <laughs> and oh, when
0: I, my husband went parachuting i was like okay okay because <laughs> I'm like, all right well yeah yeah i i guess i could do it. <laughs> so but yes you know you know from front, i needed to correct that so there is no coverage it becomes null and void if you take your life. So if you if you've prepared for your family or think you've prepared for your family, that is not an option. Ooh.
3: Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to get to that point though where where that seems like the only way out. And my my brother I know. committed suicide a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And the survivor's guilt among the family was just horrendous
0: mm-hmm.
3: because I remember we all knew there was a problem, but we didn't know how how bad it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, everyone starts blaming themselves afterwards. Mm-hmm. I should have done this. I should have said this. I should have checked up on this person. And we don't want it to get to that point. And and that's another reason we we cover all of these traumas that we do. And and they are by no means all of the traumas out there. They were. Mm-hmm just the most prevalent for our Mm -hmm. focus, which was for women in this one. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And just the, you know, the tip of the iceberg basically. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: But in that there is like 30,000 words worth of just trauma Mm -hmm.
1: and,
3: and writing it and researching it was, was very triggering, you know, and, and I didn't want to sugarcoat anything on, on my part. I wanted to make sure I, I gave as much facts as possible because sometimes people don't know that this is causing them as much of a problem as it is, because again, we, as women lump so much onto our shoulders, because we feel like that's normal. That's what we have to do. And, and when those things that we just have to do end up, you know, creating burnout, creating distress, becoming, you know, traumas that are going to get us to that breaking point, we, we have to recognize them and we have to see the impact that they're having. And, how
0: does faith factor into that? Faith can, faith can be uplifting and it could also cause more stress. It,
3: it does play both sides. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, especially in the domestic violence area, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the, what society, what your, your religion, what people think of you affects mm-hmm. how women make a choice whether to stay or go or to do mm-hmm. things on the uh, spousal rape. Mm-hmm. doing your wifely duty. Mm-hmm. That's a societal, that's also a religious theme. So it can play the negative, but it can also play a very good positive. Mm-hmm. Having a community, having people around you who support you, that can be very uplifting. And so we we want people to, to find those things. And we do touch on resources of, of how to, you know, how to find ways to get the help you need, how to mm-hmm. find therapists, how to find groups that'll help support you. Because that is important. Yeah,
0: community is very important regardless of, you know, whether it's religious
3: or support or, you know, um, activities. (laughs) In in some cases, you know, one of the, the stories that we touch on, the family was the problem. They couldn't rely on their family for help, but there are friends, support groups, other ways to find that support that they need. If the family is the one causing the problem—they're not the only source out there.
0: Yeah, family isn't defined by blood. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, I took that from Supernatural. Sorry. No, <laughs> but, it's absolutely Yes, true. it's absolutely true, though. No. You know, your your best friend is is your sister. You know, or your brother if you're a man. <laughs> that that that
3: connection—we all need connection. And in today's digital age. People you meet online can become some of your best friends out there. Mm-hmm. They're just a video call away. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's very therapeutic away, yeah. to be able to do Zoom hangouts. I mean, the start of the pandemic, what were we all doing? We were hanging out with our friends via Zoom. Yes. It was exactly. just as good as hanging out in person. We still felt connected. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be somebody who is right next door or, you right. know, your immediate family. You it find 3, people 000. that are going to uplift you. It could be
0: 3,000 miles away, that's right. right, Katie? Yes, that's right, <laughs> yes. that's
3: right. But we've got to recognize, you know, where the problems mm. are. So again, that yes. was kind of what played into the title of the book, you know, acknowledging the problem, yeah. acknowledging the traumas so that we can heal from them. We're not going to hide from them. We're not going to mm. pretend that they, aren't, they don't exist. We're not going to use those coping mes- mechanisms that don't work for us anymore. We're going to acknowledge the problem because that's the mm. step that we need to take towards healing. Yeah, you need to shine the light
0: on them to to get them out of the dark. So,
1: especially too, some of the ones that you listed, like they're not ones that a lot of people would think of as trauma. Like considering the wifely duties, like there there are a ton of people who wouldn't consider that as a trauma. That's my Mm -hmm. job.
0: Mm -hmm. That's my I'm married. That's what I signed up for. Not really. Not but really.
3: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Bodily autonomy exactly. is still bodily autonomy. Just because mm-hmm. you signed a paper to share your life with somebody doesn't mean they own your body. Right. And when a you, lot of... When you're tired and say no, it means no. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. Women get trapped in relationships all the time that they yes. don't want to be in. Right. And to, to have that on top of having to perform mm-hmm. when you are... Let's say you get to the point where you're disgusted by that person. I mean, that's traumatic. That is akin to being raped. That's why it's called spousal rape. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just because you're married to him doesn't downplay the effect it has on you. And and that was one of the reasons we had to talk about it in the book Mm -hmm. because people don't realize that that is a trauma. And it was only recently protected in some states, too. Mm That, you know, uh, up until, geez, was it 50 years ago, it was fine to rape your spouse. No mm-hmm. problem whatsoever. And in some states, it's still not really punishable.
0: Slap mm-hmm. on the
2: wrist. So we we had to talk about it. You mm-hmm. know, these issues are so... I, I just read recently that it wasn't until 1974 that women could have a credit card without their husband's permission. Hmm. And that it really isn't that long ago.
0: No. Me? No, it's and,
2: not. Um, you know, it's... You know, and there's a lot going on in the world right now that just got people thinking and, you know, about about women's role and, and what, does you know, what does it mean to be a woman in this role, you know, in this world? I have a colleague I was talking to just last week and she said, you know, yeah, I, I don't like to think about the gender thing. I just want to just go out there and do a great job. And I said, girl, you know, I hear you. But unless your writing is anonymized and someone is reading what you've written, there are going to be a lot of stereotypes that are preformed about you, just even based on having a feminine name. Uh, and and it's, you know, it it is what it is. We I would that. love say again, Katie. I was going to say, we see that in the author
3: world. How many people go by initials to not, show their gender and their name when writing. If you have a yeah, well, male it, writing afraid, erotica, it, yeah. guaranteed they're going to use initials because men writing erotica seems seedy, seems wrong. If you have a man writing romance, they'll tend to use initials because that seems wrong. If you have a woman writing sci-fi, they will or use thrillers. initials. Yeah, or or my thrillers first because ones
0: FBI thrillers,
3: so that's not why, not why I'm a, Jay Jay Taylor. <laughs> it, it, it's not a genre that they necessarily immediately consider women for. Right. We do. We see that all the time. But LGBTQ plus community, they get it too. They they get it doubly so. And when it comes to things like early childhood bullying, which starts the cycle of trauma for them, they get the worst of it, especially because they're different than what is societal norm. And so they have to deal with that on top of you know whether or not their family is accepting of them whether or not uh, you know the friends the re- you know the religious leaders that kind of stuff you know it, it's most of these traumas like I said they, they tend to start young and that was the biggest kind of you know punch to the gut when doing this research. We you live with I... this for so long
2: I'm sorry Katie I didn't need to overspeak you that was oh my I'm fault. sorry
3: I, I can go on <laughs> or war no. I yes. Yeah,
2: no. And, and I love that, Katie. I think you're absolutely right. You know, we don't live in a colorblind world. We don't live in a gender blind world. Um, it is what it is. But I, what I also love about the book is that, you know, we don't just, we're not just like, a, you know, here here's all the crap that you've gone through. Good luck with that. You know, it's very practical in terms, you know, Katie and I were talking before the show about, about you know if, you know be if, if let's say you're a mom and you're working yeah sure it would be great to go to like a 28 day rehab really like <laughs> I, have, I think every working mom out there would like to go to a 28 day like break from their I would, you know and I'm, I'm child free and I would still love to go on like a 28 day you know any... writing hiatus <laughs> 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 yes exactly but oh, that you know yeah that's a luxury so many cannot afford or cannot make time for and it's not a matter of well put yourself first and huh. write a gratitude oh. journal <laughs> live laugh, love you know it's like oh you know that's that's very cringy stuff you know that's that toxic positivity and yes that, girl yes and he did a really good job of addressing that in the book we talk yeah. about toxic positivity and how we, you know, and women, as women, we can really bring each other down very quickly. Um, And that's not okay. But Mm -hmm. in, in the book, we talk about, okay, not only, you know, what are types of trauma, what does trauma look like? But no joke, what can we do about that? How can we talk to our family members about what we're experiencing? And we have scripts, line by line scripts, Um, How can we talk to our HR department? Because, you know, unless you're independently wealthy, you know, you might, you know, you might have a boss,
1: which sucks.
2: But, -hmm. you know, how do I talk to my HR department about getting the help that I need? If if it's at that point, how can I reach out for social support? Social support that matters, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
2: because it's it's not easy. You know, how do I find, you know, a 12-step community? And there's a lot more than AA and NA. You know, we've got Codependence Anonymous. We talk about that in the book. And and again, you know, going back to we're learning these patterns, you know, these patterns of codependence, and there is a really amazing group called CODA, C-O-D-A.org, and I would recommend that. what an incredible online community. I mean, the pandemic sucked except yeah. for, for the online, I'm telling you, the whole 12 step community just went online and was amazing. So, you know, adult children of alcoholics, ACOA, what a powerful online change agent. And you don't have to go to the basement of your local church or synagogue or mosque. You know, you can go online, anonymize yourself on the Zoom and you don't even have to use your picture or your name, you know, and you can just go and listen. And, uh, you know, to, you know, all the only requirement for membership is a desire to change. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, people will go online, they'll say, oh, well, it's a closed meeting. But that's what that means. It means no looky lose, please. It, unless, you know, if you desire to, to change, join us, figure it out. You know, church communities, Jane, you're right, mm-hmm. you know, meetup groups, Uh, You know, the world is slowly but slowly opening back up. Uh, How do we find that social support writing groups, which Mm -hmm. your audience is very familiar with? You know, we we talk about how do do we get that social support? How do we get the help that we need? And how can we move forward so that we can heal? So the first half of the book is acknowledge, but the second half is really heal. Heal. Yeah, another thing that you touch on, there's a big
3: section about how to find the help you need, especially without insurance, mm-hmm. because that's a big one for us.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: different resources that are available to try in order to find the help you need, especially when you don't have, you know, immediate access to health insurance or let's say you're a student in college or, you know, where to just call if you need someone to talk to. Right. You know, the, these are important resources that a lot of people don't know exist. And and we wanted to make sure that we packed as many of them as possible into it so that not only can you, you know, understand what you're going through, but you can find ways to get the help you need or find the support groups you need to go to.
2: I just learned of a new resource, Katie, that I want to share. Um, and I'm not sure if we put it in the book, um, but There's it's still on. It's Ooh, don't tempt me but it's called a warm line now i've been in the therapy business a minute and I, i'll be straight with you i had never heard of this until very recently and we wrote a blog post about it um so folks can sign up for our, our blog at the soldiersblog.com um we just had a blog post about warm line. so this is we know that when we're feeling suicidal we call you know we can call the suicide hotline which is going to what eight one one what is the
3: new? Oh, there's a new number. I It's in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know it off the top of my head, but it is in the book. It mm-hmm. is, and
2: that's coming in July. So by the time uh, books release on August 26th, it will all be turned over. But a warm line is it, they're, they're at the state and local level, local communities Organizations like NAMI, the the National Alliance of Mental Illness. If you go into your Google or your web browser and you just put, you know, for me, Texas warm lines, you're going to get some stuff that's coming up. A warm line is kind of a step back from a hotline. Mm -hmm. Not thinking about killing myself. I'm not going to murder anyone else. I'm not going to homicide anyone today.
0: I just need somebody to talk to today, right?
2: You got
0: it. Yeah, I did. I I have something that's weighing on me, and I need somebody to talk to. Yep, that's
1: so important too, because not a lot of people even want to admit, like, yo, I'm there. Like they don't mm-hmm. want to admit that to themselves. They're like, oh, I can call a warm line because I'm not, I'm I'm not suicidal.
2: Mm-hmm. Or I'm not worthy. <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm not. You know, well, you know, my trauma is not. Oh hey, Rebecca. Hello. Mm-hmm. And thank you for tuning in. Um, but I'm not worthy because my trauma is not as traumatic as someone else's trauma. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? But,
0: yeah, that, that's
3: bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> no, you no, know, we say that. Yes. Suicide, yeah. co- or, 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 sorry, comparison is shitty. Yes, yes. You know, all trauma yeah. is trauma. Don't compare. Yeah, what,
0: what's going on inside you is worthy of. Yes. Somebody listening to your 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 troubles. It is absolutely yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I love Rebecca.
2: <laughs> but yeah,
0: sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no,
2: <laughs> I love that passion because trauma comparison is shitty and and people are shitty when they do it. But I also don't think that people are doing it intentionally. Yeah, oh no. yeah when you know it's gosh being a trauma survivor this shit ain't easy
1: mm-hmm. this yeah.
2: shit ain't easy and um you know even if we have it going on on the outside i mean the three of you were talking about your great hair days today so even when we got it going on on the outside you know this shit ain't easy <laughs> this, this is not great. this is this is not a cakewalk and we are doing for the most part, everybody is doing the absolute best they can with what they've got at the time. And fuck, you know, that's, it's- That's yeah. rumor
3: number four, that people who have, have dealt with trauma can't be high functioning adults. And quite honestly, a lot of high functioning adults are the ones who have gone through the shit and mm-hmm. they just, their coping mechanism
2: hasn't broken yet. Mm-hmm. Or their coping mechanism is working.
0: Yeah, and or it's
1: still
2: working, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is not, you know, it's not easy. But so when when people compare and they say, you know, and I I hear this a lot in the soldier community. But, you know, we may we we might be tempted to say, you know, well, you know, they think they had it bad. Well, I dot, 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 fill in the Mm -hmm. blank. And I don't think that it's malicious when people do that. It's you know, it's but it is a way to make us feel okay with what we're going through. But there are really under uh, not well understood second and third order effects to that. When, you know, when we make someone feel belittled or dismissed, Mm -hmm. you know, not everybody's going to like with that kernel, not everyone's just going to say, okay, I'm either going to murder myself or, you know what, I think I'll go get a master's degree and write a book. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the plan at the time, by the way. It was just mm-hmm. like, how do I keep myself from killing myself? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but it can stop people from ever getting help or feeling like we deserve to be loved or honored or respected or valued or cherished. And we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we deserve that. You know, we're in a hurting world right now. Yeah. No question about that. I know we're coming up to the end of our time. I feel like I'm being a blab, so
3: I'm going <laughs> to. It's a lot of heavy stuff, but it, it's. When I was working on this as, as triggered and, and as emotionally raw as I felt writing it. I kept thinking about how much it might be able to help somebody else. And it yeah. was
0: a little cathargic, I think, for you. Yeah, I mean, calling out
3: that. the crap that we deal with mm-hmm. so that other people can recognize it and maybe not be traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good thing. And that's why I was so excited to work with Virginia on this. It's it's a chance to do something that's really good, you know, mm-hmm. that could really help someone. And, and I hope, God, I hope it does. Mm-hmm.
2: Being able to name it, I think is important. Being yes. able to have a name, um, you know, in, in in you know my life when I'm not writing, I taught, I I study um, something called institutional betrayal, mm-hmm. um, which I believe we actually cover we in the have book. A story about crazy. that? Yeah, yep. and um, whenever you know, I was just I was on a podcast this this past week, and. We were talking, and I was talking about studying institutional betrayal. And after the show, she said, I have never heard that term. And it just feels so good to have a term for that, to know that that exists. And so we talked a little bit about it uh, offline. And I, you know, this is from Jennifer Freight's research out at University of Oregon. She's just terrifyingly brilliant, mm-hmm. um, talking about how. Um, her, her research actually started with, um, with, uh, she studied, uh, women who had been raped in college and then gone through title nine, um, kind of the hearing of that. And, uh, you know, to, to prosecute it within the, not the judicial system, but the, the collegiate system. And I'm probably fucking this all up, but it's not my expertise. It's hers. Um, but what she found was that, um, folks, You know, women who had been through that, not only were they physically raped, but then they felt betrayed again by the institution Um, in in such a way that it was just so highly demoralizing and and really that kick in the teeth being kicked while you're down. And what a helpful, just what a helpful term to have. And so it's such a joy to research that. And and of course, in my in my field, I I research moral injury and the intersectionality of those two. But yeah, so so helpful to have that. And Rebecca said here that institutional betrayal has made so many things make sense to me and why I have a problem with authority or was told I did. Lady.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah. I, that's some
3: tough stuff. And that's why mm-hmm. again this book it was so important to do and, and it's just tip of the iceberg. I mean, it, it's one focus. And I think we've talked about a few other focused books that we wanna to work on to really give everybody something that that they can latch on to and say, This is for me and this is gonna help. Right. Me. Right. And it's I'm so glad that that I could work on this with you, Virginia. This is oh. such a good project.
2: You know, if I can brag on Katie for a minute, she really, whew,
3: She's I, a
0: great write, co-writing partner, isn't she? <laughs> great
2: writer. Yes. stop. And, and I've, I've read Katie's um, fiction, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. And, um, you know, I was like, hmm. I got, you know, at first I was like, a, I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, she's a fiction writer. And I, I got to tell you, this was... You know, I'm in a, in a doctoral program right now, and um, whew, her writing is doctoral level writing. That being said, it's not dry. It's mm-hmm. very approachable. I mean, my gosh, if journal articles were written like this, more people would read them and get something out of them. Uh, it, it's just so approachable and i'm I'm very thankful Katie you brought so much to this book i'm I'm just really um i'm profoundly thankful
3: definitely a passion project i think for us both. you
0: want to tell us where we can get this passion project again since <laughs> we're, since we're...
3: At time, <laughs> right now it is available for pre-order, and you can pre-order it on Amazon. If you check the show notes, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, it's already in the link there. I'm going to put it in the comments right now. If you want to go and find it, um, it will be available on August. What did we say? 20- Twenty-six. 26.
1: 26.
3: Yeah. There we go. On all of the channels, both in print and in ebook, and we will be doing a workbook to go along with it, just like we did with the Soldier's Guide. So it's going to be a really good book. It's going to be helpful. And it's just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Well, thank you very much for being here. I know next week we're off. I have a release on July 5th. Look for Crooked Soul. Woo-hoo. And then we'll be back on the ninth. <laughs> thank
3: you all for joining today. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks. Thank you, team.